Hello and welcome to the fifth episode of Runalyze This, India's first running podcast. This is Dharmendra, the host for this podcast. This is a podcast with an Indian flavor for runners, wherever you may be around the world. I'm a running coach and freelance writer based out of Bangalore, India. So what do we have on this episode? We have a roundup of recent events on the Indian running calendar, as well as international events since the last episode. We have website and book recommendations. And we are back to having an interview in this episode. Hope you like it. I'm also happy to inform you that as of the fourth episode, we've crossed more than 500 downloads and I expect it to only get better from here on. Thank you for listening. First up is the Auroville Marathon, which happened on the 10th of February. The Auroville race, for those of you who didn't know, doesn't really have prize money or fancy post-race tents, etc. Everyone gets to drink the same post-race tea and eat pongal, which is sort of egalitarian. The course is a beautiful trail, although you wouldn't know that it was devastated by the cyclone a couple of years ago, unless you paid attention to it as you ran along the course. In the spirit of the event, I won't discuss any of the podium places and just strongly recommend that you go run it sometime. On the international calendar, the Rasal Khaima half on the 15th of February was won by Jeffrey Kipsang followed closely by Stanley Bivard and Jeffrey Mutai, each of them separated by just a second each. The women's race was expectedly won by Lucy Kabu, followed closely by Priska Jeptu and Rita Jeptu, although the women's race wasn't as close as the men's race. Around the same time, there was much controversy over an interview with the BBC, where Moses Kiptenai, an elite runner, alleged that doping was rampant and corruption was helping cover it up. Elsewhere, There were similar allegations in Australia about Australian athletes, although those are expected to go beyond just running. Among other significant developments in international running since the last episode, we've had news of two of the best athletes of our times announce their long-distance races. Mo Farah is expected to run in the first half of the London Marathon, alongside an already stellar elite field, which we discussed in the last episode. Bernard Legard will race in the New York City half in March. Both of these should be exciting events to watch and not just because of Mofara and Lagat running in them. This weekend on the 24th of February, we will have the Tokyo Marathon and the Mangalore Half Marathon and 10K. The Tokyo Marathon, as we have discussed on the previous episode, will appear in its first avatar as part of the World Marathon Majors. In about 6 weeks, We have the Paris Marathon on the 7th of April. In about 7, we have the Brighton Marathon on April 14th. And the weekend after that, the London Marathon on 21st of April. But between the two, we'll have the Boston Marathon on the 15th of April. Thus, in the space of about 8 weeks, we would have had 3 marathon majors completed. In about 12 weeks, the TCS 10K is finally expected to happen on the 19th of May. And after that, at least the Indian running calendar is going to go easy till the Hyderabad Marathon, which is expected to be in August. And that's about most of what I have on the Indian and international running events over the next 16 to 18 weeks. If you think there's something interesting that I have missed out on, please feel free to write in and I will discuss it on the next episode. Our guest on this episode is Bhaskar Sharma, a fellow runner from Runners for Life, my club in Bangalore. Bhaskar is in his early 50s 
and is an inspiration to runners of all ages across the country. He is especially popular amongst runners in Bangalore for his modesty and being mild-mannered in addition to his impressive running. Once you listen to the interview, you might join the legion of his fans. Bhaskar, welcome to the show. Why don't we get started by you telling us how you started running? Thanks, Dharam. I don't have any history of uh, running during my school or uh, even my undergraduate days. I first started running when I moved to Bangalore, actually, in the late 70s, 79 to be precise, to do my master's in Indian Institute of Science. I kind of felt that I was overweight at that point in time and to manage my weight. I was always a kind of foodie, especially, you know, eating a lot of fried food and sweets, etc. So to manage my weight during those college days, I took to running. I started doing about, you know, three to four kilometers, four to five days a week. And I continued that pretty much on and off since then. That means from the from the 1980 time frame, I've been running regularly. And kept till about, and I did a, I did about eight to ten kilometers regularly in the mid nineties when I was living in the U.S. And okay. I had a manager, an American manager who used to run at lunchtime. Okay. And I started running with him at lunchtime. We would often, once or twice a week, we would run eight to ten kilometers. That's when I did my first, uh, I would say, ten k, or first ten k after a while. And we would do fairly fast runs at that time go out, run, run at lunch, come back, have a shower and, uh, you know, then have a sandwich and get back to programming work. Okay. Uh, it was in the 2001 time frame that uh, when, when I actually started to do my own uh, startup uh, okay. in, in the telecom area, that I met a guy who, who was my age and said he was running marathons. And it helped him a lot in, in his professional uh, life as well to manage stress. So I started running to manage weight and then I was getting stressed at work. And when somebody told me that long distance running will help you in managing that stress, then I said, okay, my professional goals are not going too well. So let me set myself a personal goal to run a marathon. So I said that I should try and run a marathon by the time I turned 45. And so that's when I started, uh, you know, running longer distances. So I would say I did my first 15K sometime in 2001. Okay. So before that, did you run any shorter races before you ran a marathon? I, I ran one kind of fun 10K. Actually, that was uh, even before I moved to the US for a short stint. That was in the mid 80s, in 84 uh, time frame in Belgium, right. uh, where I did a I did a 10K. You know, it was a 10K race that was organized in the town that I was living in. Okay. And since I was going out for regular jogs, at that time I was doing 5, 6, 7K a few days a week. I just enrolled for a fun 10K. And, and did that. Okay. For listeners' interest, when you say you were overweight, what weight were you at Baskar? So at that time, I would say I was somewhere around the 66, 67 kilograms. Okay. And for those of you, uh, you know, wondering what Baskar is at right now, he's at about 56 kilos. And he stayed in the 60 kg range for at least the last 5, 6 years, right? Correct. That's correct. Since I took to long distance running and I scaled up once I started running marathons, I touched... Uh, 6061 and stayed there for a while. Okay. So when did you first run your marathon? I completed my first full marathon uh, at Chennai in uh, January 2003. Okay. Uh, I attempted the first one in uh, December 2002. That was the Pune marathon. Okay. So what happened was as I started to scale my mileage in uh, 2002 uh, and I hit my, you know, first 35k, I started to look around for an event to run. I couldn't find, at that time, I couldn't find any event in India. 
uh, and I found the Singapore Marathon in December. So I actually registered for that. And then as I got closer to that date, I realized that the Pune Marathon was happening on the same day. So I, you know, canceled my travel plans to Singapore. I didn't want to risk my first marathon, you know, and spend so much money. Sure. So I went to Pune and I, I attempted that, but I, I had to stop at about 33K because the organization was not very friendly for amateur runners, especially for a first time runner like me. Yeah, if I know correctly, I think they still uh, don't support runners who uh, finish beyond uh, three and a half hours or four hours. That's correct. They have a they have a thing about uh, reaching the halfway point by one thirty five. Correct. If you don't reach the halfway point by one thirty five or so, they actually take away your bid. And the whole support system is geared for three and a half kind of runners because you know the water, the traffic control, everything was gone uh, by the time I hit the thirty k mark. Sure. So how uh, how long did you take to finish your first marathon? So the first marathon I completed in 4 hours 33 minutes. That was a good, fairly good experience. After my experience at, uh, uh, you know, with Pune, I kept bugging the organizers to verify and confirm and double confirm that they would, they would support amateur and slower runners like me. And there were some good volunteers who, even though traffic was, you know, was not fully controlled by the time I got to my 35 kilometer mark, they were on a bike with extra water and made sure the traffic was away from me, the buses and the two wheelers, etc. And they supported me all the way up to the Jawaharlal Nehru Stadium past the central station where we finished. Oh, fantastic. And how many guys ran the full marathon in that year, do you know? I think there were about 50 finishers. Uh, okay. From running about 4 hours and 30 minutes, how did you uh, decide to start chasing a Boston Marathon qualification? When did you decide also? Boston kind of, uh, you know, has be, had been in the in the background, uh, you know, obviously one, as one started running more and more uh, marathons, especially, I mean, just, just to go back a little bit, after my first marathon finished in January 2003, my second marathon was in 2005. That was the New Jersey Marathon. So right. I, I had a fairly long break. And since then, I've been running regularly, at least a couple of marathons a year, if not more. Once I hit the sub four right. uh, is when I started to think seriously about the possibility of uh, running Boston. And at that point in time, my qualifying time for Boston in the 55 to 59 age group was 345. Sure. When, I, when I first said I want to run Boston. But then in, I think it was in February 2011, thereabouts that they announced the change in the timing, announced. the revision. And when they made it 340 in the 55 to 59, I pretty much said I wouldn't be able to do that. I mean, I thought, you know, going from 350 odd, at that time, my best time in January 2011 was 353 in Bombay. Going from 353 to 340 seemed, uh, seemed very, very challenging. So I had pretty much given up. But then I met my coach in July 2011. And after analyzing my running, he gave me confidence that I could certainly, by following a structured and disciplined program, I could certainly do a 340 or even better. And, sure. and so then I set myself uh, a goal at that time in, in the middle of 2011. I revisited it after giving it up for some time that I would try and qualify for Boston. A frequent complaint from most people of our sorts, which means that, you know, people who have a day job, is that they don't get enough time to train. Considering you kept a full-time job all through your Boston uh, Marathon qualification norm, uh, how do you train and when do you train? How do you uh, find the time to train? Whatever mileage you do per week? Even before I 
came across the first program, I have always been a proponent of lower mileage and cross training, and that has worked well for me. So I have never, I have very rarely, I would not say never, very rarely run more than four days a week. Okay. And very rarely done beyond, except when I was training for the first Bangalore Ultra, when 50K was kind of, uh, you know, uh, a first kind, an experience of first kind for a lot of people that I knew, nobody had done it before. So at that time, I probably did high mileage for a few weeks. Okay. But otherwise, in general, my mileage has never been beyond 60 to 70K. It was usually four days a week. Then I moved it to three days a week of uh, training. So that's one, because of the three plus two, where I don't do very high mileage. And the two is also not very long time-wise in terms of cycling or other cross-training. So the time-wise, it's less. That is one thing that helped me, three plus two kind of a thing, which I was following even before the first program, but which I now follow very religiously. The second is, I think, you know, it's a question of priority. I mean, if you if you set your mind that you want to do it, I mean, then, then you kind of juggle and compromise a few other things around you. Okay. So, so like, for example, you know, you don't, you don't socialize too much on, uh, you know, late evenings on weekends because your long runs are on weekends. So it's a question of priority. So, and fortunately for me, my family is also not very much, uh, you know, that much into socializing on uh, weekends. Or oh, you socialize only with runners. Or, or I socialize only with runners, which is usually that's a great. breakfast. <laughs> right, right. That's the, that's the other thing that, you know, you, you kind of prioritize your schedules around you. The, the, the other related thing that helped me is on work, though I have a full-time job, which can be, which has been very hectic at times, but unlike some of the other professionals that I know either in IT or even in other areas, I don't travel a whole lot. Okay. I travel only two or three times and that too for about a week each time. And in those travels also, I'm able to get in a couple of treadmill runs as per my training program. That has helped. And the third factor, of course, has in my particular case, my, when I took to long distance running, especially in the last five years where I've been very focused on hitting times and things like that. And so, you know, either I've been doing more, much more running or I've been focused on training very hard. My family has been very supportive. My kids have, have grown up. So, you know, being teenagers, they needed less of my time. In fact, they were happy to see me go. And oftentimes when I came back from a run at 9.30 or 10, they were still asleep. So, so yeah. I could still balance between, you know, doing whatever with the family later in the day or in the afternoon and you know not uh, not be concerned that i was missing out on spending time with the family so these three factors really helped me spend time uh, in training as i wanted to okay although baskar is saying that his uh, job doesn't involve a whole lot of travel his previous job somehow had him find time to go and run international races as part of a effort to run 12 marathons in 12 months when he turned 50 baskar why didn't you uh, tell the listeners a little about that attempt. How did that come about? Yeah, so that really came about, uh, you know, as of, you know, getting closer to 50, midlife crisis. Now people do that at a much earlier age <laughs> where they started prospecting. And I, I had, when I took to serious running and I had also started uh, buying some books related to running and I bought this book, uh, Faggotty Every Friday and something about my story of running a marathon every week for a year. And I was reading it on a plane and then I was just approaching 50 and then it just struck me, you know, that, that maybe I should do something like that. Uh, run, run, you know, but in India, you can't run that many marathons. There aren't that many events uh, anywhere to go to. So I said, let me try and do a marathon a month for 12 weeks. In some cases, there would be events. In other cases, I would use the RFL 
fortnightly runs and use that to run a full uh, 42.2 kilometers. Yeah, you so, meant 12 months, right? Yes, tw- I meant 12 months. That's right. right. Yeah. So I started with the first edition of the Hyderabad Marathon in 2008, August 2008, which was, I think, a day before I turned 50, if I remember right. I think it was right. like 16th August. Yeah. And I, I turned 50 the next day. And then I was able to run uh, a marathon every four to five weeks. Five of them were, or six of them were official events and the remaining were part of the RFL training runs. Now, as far as, uh, you know, trying to run a marathon, uh, you know, uh, whenever possible, that I have been continuing to do, even though I don't travel a whole lot. But when I do get an opportunity to travel and if I am, I'm reasonably fit, then I do look to see if there is a, there is a marathon in the vicinity. In fact, an interesting thing, which, which I, I myself am quite surprised when I look back, I was without a job, uh, you know, I was laid off from my, and not for the first time, from my job uh, in uh, 2004, February. And then I interviewed for a job in uh, New Jersey. That's how I ran my second marathon. I interviewed for a job in New, New Jersey in May 2005. And at that time, when, they, when I looked around, I found that just very close to the place where I was going for an interview, there was a marathon. And I, I didn't know of any other marathon happening in India. I mean, I hadn't done a full. Two, Mumbai was two years old, but it was still far away because it was middle of the year. So I actually traveled there. I asked them to book a ticket for me to arrive there on a Saturday morning, telling them that I needed a day of rest so that I could interview <laughs> on Monday. And then I actually went on Saturday, took a train, registered, ran on Sunday, and then went for the interview on Monday and flew back Tuesday night. And I got the job. <laughs> <laughs> this is the... New Jersey Marathon in Long Branch, which is usually the first Sunday of May. Uh, after Baskar ran it, I got inspired by him to run the same race. And again, you know, heartily recommend the race. It's a great race. You have the Atlantic Ocean uh, to one side throughout the race. And it's very pleasant and uh, quite a small field, but very flat and uh, nice course with pacers. Baskar, now I would like to ask you about advice for listeners who are also, you know, nursing ambitions of qualifying for the Boston Marathon, at least meeting their norm. If you had three things to tell someone who's not quite close to their norm, say there's within about half an hour of their norm or an hour, what would three things be? Well, I think uh, one one would be that it is possible. It doesn't matter if you're 30, 30 minutes or a, an hour away from your qualifying time. So, so one just needs to be focused one needs to be patient it's not you know depending on how far away you're from your qualifying time it, it could take a fair amount of time it could take anywhere between one or even two years it also of course depends on the on the individual uh, themselves so i would say if you are keen on qualifying then focus on it so focus training in a structured way is is the second thing once you focus on doing that you train in a structured way and Certainly, when, when you are looking at qualifying and improving time in that order of magnitude, then also pick your races carefully. That's look, look, at, look, at, look at doing less number of races. Look at doing races which are flatter, which are relatively easier, where maybe the weather is more favorable, uh, depending on whether you don't mind a warm race or you prefer a particularly cold race like, like yourself. Sure. So, so, three things would be that be clear that it can be done. Two, so and set your focus on it to train in a disciplined consistent way and third pick your races carefully and be patient about it it could take time but but if you set your heart on it it should eventually happen it's interesting that you should say uh, you know be patient well it's easy to say that there is some justification for it 
there is some anecdotal evidence to suggest that the average Boston Marathon qualifier takes about seven attempts to get there. I've already done about four races ever since I want to chase. You've done at least four races in your attempt too. Correct. So I'm sure it, it's going to take us, I mean, it's going to take me at least another race at the minimum. So I would say that unless you're exceptionally gifted or you're having a supremely lucky day, it's probably going to take you at least a couple of years before you get there. Yeah. Especially if you're as off your norm as I was when correct. you were. I, correct. You're right. I was actually off by only 20 minutes. Right. Right. I mean, in my case, I was off by an hour. And you made tremendous progress. Yeah. Which brings me to my last question. I mean, I know you're very conservative and you would want to wait for September when the registrations open and actually get in. We wish you the best for that. But after you do Boston, whenever that happens, what's your next running goal? So I have two dimensions to it. I mean, one is, of course, uh, I, I'm also hoping and pretty optimistic that I would be able to run Boston in April 2014. So on one side, I want to keep my current fitness level, at least for the next year, year and a half, you know, that means stay sub 340 and do a couple of races every year, two to three races every year. And by races, you mean full marathons? Full marathons, yeah. Right. Full marathons. I'm also looking at, then beyond that, I'm looking at longer distances. So I'd like to do, uh, you know, the comrades uh, definitely in, uh, if possible, in 2015. And then probably I would like to do, uh, you know, 100 miles or a 24-hour race. You know, that's in my goals. And then I want to look at some quaint, exotic uh, marathons over a period of time. I mean, I would look at, I still want to do the Athens Marathon. Sure. So I didn't do it in that, uh, you know, in that landmark year uh, where a number of uh, Indian runners did it. Um, I'd, I'd like to do Athens. I'd like to do the Big Sur uh, right. if there's an opportunity. Uh, and then probably I'd like to do this uh, Medoc. Uh, Marathon de Medoc. So I'll then look at longer distances and some quaint, uh, you know, scenic uh, races. So you have no so, plans for multidiscipline events like the triathlon, maybe? <laughs> Why not the Ironman, for example? Uh, it's a very relevant question because I do love cycling. I mean, both, uh, I, I do a lot of my cycling in the gym nowadays, but I do like the outdoors uh, cycling. But unfortunately, I'm not a swimmer. I've made, I've made two attempts to learn swimming. Both have fallen flat. One coach pretty much gave up on me saying, I don't think you can learn swimming. <laughs> I don't know. I, I'm not getting any younger. So by the time I finish Boston and maybe even do comrades at 56, 57, you know, learning swimming and then trying for a triathlon at that time. Don't know, but who knows? I mean, Yeah, but your training commitment will also go up significantly because you need to spend at least about 10, 15 hours a week on triathlon training. So Ironman training, if not triathlon so, training. So, so I think that is something, fortunately, so my wife's kind of got used to it and <laughs> in a way given up, given up, you know, saying, okay, you, you know, he's following his passion and that's where he's getting a lot of satisfaction, some recognition. So, so she's, I think, okay, sure. okay, okay with that. And my children are older. I mean, both my children would be, you know, we would be pretty much what the Americans call empty nesters. Exactly. Two or three years. Time-wise, it may not be that much of a thing. But I think if I get into maybe cycling and running, you know, some cycling events maybe, that itself will keep me fairly busy. So I haven't thought about the, thought about giving a third attempt to learn swimming. But who knows? Thanks, Bhaskar. What we would love to do is Catch up with you in April of 2014, maybe post your Boston attempt and let the listeners know how it went. Until then, best of luck. Thank you. Thanks, sir. Now we come to the part of the show where I tell you something you perhaps didn't know. This time, instead of trivia, 
I offer a bunch of reading and browsing recommendations. First of them is the Guardian Running blog, which started about two weeks ago. Amongst the most interesting posts that have been done till date, I heartily recommend Celia Taylor's wonderful post on how trying to break two minutes for the 800 meters has consumed her life in more ways than one. Of course, I'll also shamelessly plug my own post on the blog on whether it is really considered impressive to run a marathon these days. Another website that I have recommended in the past is that of Tony Revis and he's made a beautiful post on how Alberto Salazar and Galen Rook are determined to win in 2013. He's also discussed how Alberto Salazar has made a bunch of minor but important modifications to both Galen Rook's and Mary Kane's running including some crazy inspirations from other sports. Finally, I would like to ask you to check out two books on nutrition by Indian authors, Rujuta Divekar and Pooja Makhija. Rujuta, as some of you may know, authored the bestseller Don't Lose Your Mind, Lose Your Weight. Her second book is called Women in the Weight Loss Tamasha. While much of what she says has to be read even by men, according to me, she does discuss how our society makes it particularly difficult for women to manage their health. Her second book is called Women and the Weight Loss Tamasha. While much of what she says has to be read even by men, according to me, she does discuss how our society makes it especially difficult for women to manage their health. Pooja's book is called Eat Delete. Pooja's book is plugged in the same category, although sometimes you wonder if she is talking about a sort of lifestyle different from yours altogether. I heard both of these books in audio form thanks to my friend Jay of Bookstock, India's most interesting audiobook company. Both books are narrated by the authors themselves and make mostly good listening, although you might find Pooja's voice a little shrill at times and Rujuda tends to rant occasionally, although you could excuse that given the sensitivity of her topic. Both books contain largely sound advice and provide great information and tools for Indian foods. And with that, we come to the end of the fifth episode. Thank you for listening. I hope to hear from you on your comments. If you're interested in supporting the show in some form, you can write to me at runalyzethis at gmail.com. This is a podcast for Indian runners and by an Indian runner. So I'd love to hear from you, be it interesting facts about Indian runners, your experiences at global running events, and just about anything you think is worth your featuring on this podcast. Wish you the best for your training and your races in spring and summer. The music for this podcast has been composed by the talented Ramya Shankar. If you'd like to listen to more of her work, visit www.ramyashankar.com. The blog for this podcast is at runalyzethis.blogspot.com. That's R-U-N-A-L-Y-Z-E-T-H-I-S.blogspot.com. Until the next episode, goodbye. The information provided and opinions expressed on this show are based on the opinions and experiences of the participants. You should exercise due caution and consult your doctor before taking any action. Runalyze this assumes no responsibility for your actions based on listening to the show, which are assumed to be at your own risk. <laughs>